how are you today, while often very well-intentioned, unfortunately kind of makes you come off as out of touch. Because it always makes a person on the other side wonder, are they not aware of today's environment? Do, do, they don't know there's a coronavirus. They don't know that it's a challenge for all businesses. You actually raise the level of your game when you started taking really good, educated guesses as to how people are. Because the person on the receiving end of that, that what they hear is like, wow, this person actually gets it. They're not oblivious. They are aware. They are collaborative. Hi, this is Julie Masters and you are listening to The Next Right Thing, a mini-series from the Inside Influence team designed to provide some actionable certainty in uncertain times, specifically, and let's face it, the world that we are all, like it or not, inhabiting right now, the COVID-19 pandemic and subsequent lockdown. Now, will this series continue? I don't know. Um, at the moment, we're just getting them together, dropping them as fast as we can, as the situation will allow. We may continue, we may do them less frequently, more frequently in a different way. A lot will depend on feedback, your feedback. So keep it coming. The idea behind this series is to go out to some of the most popular guests from past episodes of Inside Influence and ask them just one question. What are the most important things or important thing that you are focusing on right now? Tools, ideas or strategies or advising your clients to focus on? that you know for sure work in uncertain times. Now the intention is that somewhere in here from these incredible minds, you find the inspiration that you need for your next right thing. A point of certainty amidst all the uncertainty. Now in this episode, I speak with, I'm so excited to launch this one. I speak with Chris Voss, previously the FBI's lead kidnapping negotiator. Now, during his 24-year tenure in the FBI, he was trained in the art of negotiation at Scotland Yard and Harvard Law School. He is also a recipient of the Attorney General's Award for Excellence in Law Enforcement, as well as teaching business negotiation at a number of prestigious universities. He is also the author of the excellent, highlight, bold, in red, excellent book, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depends on It. Now, just very quickly on this book, it pretty much takes every single piece of wisdom that I understood about negotiation and flips it on its head. It separates the theory from what actually works when life gets intense, when emotions are high, when the stakes are even higher. Cannot recommend highly enough, and that is why today there was nobody else that I wanted to talk to about this topic. Now, in this conversation, we drill down into something very specific, and it is this. How to deal with everything being renegotiated. Now, most of us have had to deal with either making or taking those renegotiation phone calls more than we would have ever imagined or wanted in the past few weeks, either with suppliers, team members, landlords, customers. Those calls are heartbreaking, difficult to navigate and overwhelming in their frequency at, the point, at this point in time. They're also emotionally intense and a blueprint to work from is one of the things that I think can really stand us in good stead when it comes to influencing as best we can in these moments. Chris walks through a four-point system 
today for handling renegotiation phone calls. So super practical, as well as how to deal with two of the biggest derailers in phone negotiations in general. Number one, what to do when the other party goes silent. You know that point where you just keep talking, talking, talking in the hope that eventually (laughs) they'll join the party. And then what to do when the opposite occurs, when they won't stop talking. What I want you to listen for in this conversation is that these tools apply whether you are making or taking the phone call. Managing your state, your tone of voice, creating engagement through emotionally intelligent guesses as to what the other party might be facing, reflecting back and naming the elephant in the room by labeling what you've heard them say, and then asking thought-shaping collaborative questions that begin with words like, how do we? Emphasis on the we. They apply whether you are renegotiating or being renegotiated with. Now, I've said it a hundred times and it is never more true than now. Influence isn't something that you either have or do not have. It is not a power bestowed from on high by a divine force to some and not others. It is a set of tools. It is a set of tools you can claim and choose to master at any point. But first, like any mastery... You have to decide to claim it and then commit to the practice. So that is what I want for you today. I want you to decide to claim it and then commit to the practice. Now, if you want to hear more tools from Chris Voss and his experiences in the FBI, you can hunt down our previous conversation, which actually when I went to find the episode number, it's it's number one. It was episode number one of Inside Influence, our very first. So like, you know, moment, how far we have come. In particular, his insights on why yes should be the last thing you want to hear in a a negotiation. It's a total game changer. Worth listening for that alone. Chris also has um, an amazing newsletter. If you go to blackswanltd.com, it is actionable and brief. It's one of the very few that I follow. I think he also has masterclasses available on there, um, 10 videos on negotiation. And again, he's the master. He's been on the front line. There's nobody that I would go to learn from apart from him. Sales pitch aside, just genuinely out of want for you to consume his knowledge. So, other than staying well and looking after each other, I hope that somewhere in here you find the fuel that you need for your next right thing. Welcome back to the podcast, Chris Voss. Happy to be here. The the reason I wanted to to ask you to, to jump in on this conversation is, you know, what we talked about last time and your specialty is, you know, negotiation and specifically negotiation when the stakes are high, when they are high intense situations. And everything that you have learnt about that from having been a, a hostage negotiator. Right. And there was an article that you posted, actually, I don't know when it was, over the past few weeks at some point, and it said how to deal with everything being renegotiated. And I just, and I thought that is spot on because if you haven't had a phone call yet trying to renegotiate terms on a contract, then you will. At some point, exactly. you will. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how do you deal with everything being renegotiated? What's the first thing when you get that phone call? What's the first thing to focus on? Well, you know, the first thing is um, your instantaneous reaction should be built around a tone of voice you use. 
you know, hostage negotiator crisis negotiator's tone of voice is more applicable today than it ever was before, which was, you know, a downward inflecting voice, a voice that I'm using right now. You know, we would refer to it as a late night FM DJ voice. But the thing that that does is it starts, it's instantly calming to the other side. The phrase calm is contagious. What's that mean? Well, the reason it's contagious is because it's a neuroscience reaction. You hit the other person's mirror neurons and the chemicals that calm the brain are automatically injected into their brain and yours, actually. The great thing about that voice is you hear it, too. And I use it to calm myself down if I need to. So it's it's a good first step as you're trying to figure out exactly what you got on your hands. So step number one, late night FM DJ voice. So let's go to step two. Well, as, you, as you're getting into step two, this is, this is your diagnostic. Now, you're going to be dealing with one or three people on the other end of the phone. The person who's calling everybody because they see this as an opportunity and their advisors are saying, look, call everybody and renegotiate every contract, see what happens. So they're doing it more as they're trying to exploit the opportunity. Then there's a person on the other side that's actually desperate. They don't know how they're going to be able to keep the lights on. They may have put some, laid some people off, put some people on furlough, fired some people just to try to survive. So they're actually in a crisis. They're backed into a corner. They're, 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 they're uh, the cat that was in your kitchen when the Rottweiler burst in and started barking and snarling, and that cat is backed into the corner out of sheer defensiveness. And then there's a, the third type is some combination of both. They think they're going to get by. They're not entirely sure whether or not they're going to exploit an opportunity or whether they've got to stay alive. Those are kind of the three buckets. Now, you want to throw out some tactical empathy to start off with aimed at disarming fears. They're going to have a few fears. They're going to have a lot of fears. And, and the best, most effective way to disarm them is to label them, to call them out. It's the analogy of the elephant in the room. Nobody ever made the elephant in the room go away by ignoring it or denying it was there. You deal with the elephant in the room by calling it out. What do you call out? Their fears. You guys are probably scared right now of the things that you're going to say. You're probably calling me because you don't know what to do. You're worried about making your payroll. You're worried about whether or not you're going to keep the lights on. This is just a really scary time frame. Now, their reaction is going to tell you where they're at. If they correct you, they're going to, if they're not feeling those fears, you're not going to plan them. So if they're not feeling those fears, they're going to go like, eh, you know, yeah, no, no, we're, you know, it's a tough time frame, but we think we're going to get by. That's just giving you the diagnostic. They're either, they're either an opportunist or for whatever reason, they're, they're not scared to death by the situation. The people that, you know, the cat backed into a corner because, you know, the episode is a Rottweiler barking at them. They're going to feel it. They're going to resonate with it. You're going to really establish a great relationship of understanding in that moment. You will have created epiphany. You will have created bonding in the moment. You can Google the neurochemical reaction of epiphany, and a neurochemical reaction will tell you that when you feel an epiphany, the chemicals that are released into your system by your own chemistry are serotonin, dopamine and the magic oxytocin, which is the bonding drug. You create an epiphany in the other side, they get a hit of oxytocin, they feel bonded to you, which is exactly the position you want to be in in this conversation. You want them feeling bonding towards you, 
so that you can actually have an enlightened collaborative conversation. That's the purpose of calling out their fears as your opening moves. And so that's almost, it's not the opposite, but it's a very different strategy to how are you today? Which is usually, you know, how are you? What's going on? What's happening? It's usually the way that we would open a conversation. Yeah, exactly. So, and how are you today? While often very well-intentioned, unfortunately kind of makes you come off as out of touch because it always makes a person on the other side wonder, are they not aware of today's environment? Do they, do they don't know there's a coronavirus. They don't know that it's a challenge for all businesses. You actually raise the level of your game when you started taking really good educated guesses as to how people are. Because the person on the receiving end of that, that what they hear is like, wow, this person actually gets it. They're not oblivious. They are aware. They are collaborative. And that's moving forward and raising the level of your game be, be instead of somebody saying, how are you today? How are you today, by the way, is a diagnostic. You're just trying to get a feel for how they are. You move much more quickly in the conversation when you start taking emotionally intelligent, educated guesses. And, it, and they're not tough guesses to take. Now, what's, what's step three? So we've got step one, DJ voice. Step two, connection with your opening, intelligent, educated emotional, emotionally attuned guess. What's step three? Well, there's step two and a half. Let's do a step two and a half. After you've called out the fears, there are going to be a variety of temptations that you want to surrender to. The first one is to say, but. A great indicator if the word but is getting ready to come out of your mouth is a perfect time to shut up. So instead of but, it's press the pause button. Now, another temptation is going to be to say, I feel the same way. We're all in this together. Big mistake. Horrible mistake. And I think it's one of the things that the movies and the TVs have done this great disservice to us because we see a movie and a leader or somebody tries to establish a connection and it, they script it out and, and the person trying to establish a connection says, I feel that way too. And a person on the other end goes, oh my God, I'm not alone. Thank, thank God you feel that way too. In real life, that doesn't happen. In real life, unfortunately, delivering the words, I feel that way also is very self-centered. And how you come off is self-centered. At the, How you come off to the other person is enough about you. Let's talk about me. So you've got to resist that temptation to want to jump into the same boat with them. They're not asking you to jump in the same boat with them. They're asking you to understand. So that's when you really have to go dead silent. Now, their response is going to tell you where they are. They're going to give you some indicator to go on that they're prepared to hear what you have to say next by saying like, okay, all right, all right you know, I appreciate it. Some indicator, some verbal indicator. If they give you no verbal indicator whatsoever, that means you're on the right track. You haven't gone far enough. And so now you got to say something like that and something effective. Well, I haven't even probably touched on a half of it. There's probably even much more to this than, than, than what I've said. It's probably worse than I can even imagine. You know, there's more negativity in there that you gotta you got to dig out of them before you move to step three, which would be how do we solve this in a way where we don't destroy each other and we put ourselves in a position to collaborate when this pandemic 
gets its foot off of our neck. Now, what you've just done is you've opened that. That's a three-part question with a very specific opening. How? People love to be asked how. Its power is in its deference. And it has to be delivered in a deferential tone of voice. Because you want to open their brain so that you can plant those next two seeds. How do we collaborate so we don't destroy each other? That's a reminder to somebody that mutual assured destruction, you know, like that. That's what MAD, mutual assured destruction, when the world's superpowers were worried about blowing each other up with nuclear bombs. We never went to nuclear war because it was mutual assured destruction. How do we solve this without engaging in mutual assured destruction? Where we both go, I am paying you, I am paying you, to heck with you, and we hang up on each other. That doesn't do anybody any good. The second part of that, so that we can collaborate when this pandemic gets its foot off of our neck, reminds people that, number one, the real adversary here is a situation. It is the pandemic that has pinned us down. It's a global response that nobody had anything to do with making who at least who's in this conversation and also that we're going to need each other when this is over, you know, long-term success is better predicated on great long-term relationships. You got to have partners to survive. You need long-term collaborative people that you could trust. So that three aspects of that, how question are designed to open their mind and plant the seeds of here's what we want to avoid. Here's where we want to be in a very deferential fashion, so that they work with you to work this out. Talk to me about, talk to me about labeling. Labeling is the interim skill as the conversation gets going. Labeling is to just put a label, for lack of a better term, on whatever dynamic props up in the conversation. If they give you dead silence, what dynamic is going on in that moment in the conversation? They're thinking about something. What would be the appropriate label to silence? Looks like you get something on your mind. Looks like something is making you hesitate. Seems like, feels like you're mulling this over. This is just a label to call out the dynamic that exists in the moment. If you hear hesitancy in, the, in their tone of voice, in their response, if they go like, I, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know what to do. Then the label is, wow, it sounds like this whole situation's really got you hesitant. It sounds like you're reluctant to step forward because you're afraid of what's going to happen. That's what labeling is. Labeling is calling out what essentially is happening in the moment. And it's an in-conversation skill for you to probe gently about what's going on with the other side. And it starts out with it seems like it sounds like it looks like it feels like. And even if you just start your sentence with those words, your brain will finish the label for you. The really important aspect of the skill, which when we've got people in our one-on-one in-person training or our small group training, I will say to them, say these words and then finish this sentence. Say, it sounds like. And if you're in my training, I will make you say, it sounds like. And I'll watch your brain come to life however slowly it may be, 
and you'll finish that sentence. So it's, it's a great thing to learn to do. It's a great thing to practice. One of the questions that I've heard asked a few times about negotiation during this period of time is I'm used to doing it in person. Mm-hmm. I'm used to doing it in person. I'm used to reading body language. I'm used to being able to form a connection because I can eyeball somebody. I don't know how to do this over the phone. Do you have any right. any tools, any insights about taking the skills that you have or how the skills, the one-on-one skills, need to be adapted for the phone? Yeah, you know, it's a great question because a lot of people are used to going face-to-face are really thrown by going over the phone. And there's to some degree, there's even more to it than some people realize because we each have a primary sense. 60% of the planet, the primary sense is their vision. 30% is their hearing, their auditory. And about 10%, the primary sense is all of the taste, taste, touch, smell, feel. Now, so uh, being in person and, and if we're visual, we don't realize that, first of all, we're really visual. And we're used, it's not our strongest sense, it's just our first sense. It's where we get data from first. So when we go from visual to the phone, we're thrown off even more because we just lost what our primary sense was. So it's going to throw you more to start with if you're visual. I happen to be auditory. I can make the, I can make the jump a little bit easier, but I'm in a minority. They've done a lot of studies on where the data goes. What's, where does the body language info go that you would normally pick up? It actually goes into tone of voice. And, but it's, if you're visual, you know, ha- having to suddenly go blind will throw you off. To adapt to that, it simply takes practice. Your brain is a supercomputer that can soak up the data. The only real problem you have going from in-person to over the phone is what to do when the other person's dead silent because you don't have visual information, but you can pick it up really quickly in the moment by saying to somebody, look, I, I can't see you right now. I can't tell if you're thinking, if you're angry, if what's going on. You know, that's a prompt for the person to actually correct you. And people love to correct. And they'll either say, no, 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 I'm not angry. I'm thinking. I need some time to think. And I, boom, okay, perfect. I just got some data on what silence means in this conversation. If they are angry and you call it out, then that'll deactivate it. It gets us back to our deactivation of negative emotions before. And they'll say, oh, okay, look, I appreciate you being sensitive to the fact that, I, that I'm possibly angry. And they'll, they'll recognize that. So, you know, what am I babbling about? Adapt to the moment. Throw some 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 probes out there to try to help you dial into what's going on in the moment, and their tone of voice will give you all the data you need. But you're not going to be able to do it without practice, and small stakes practice for high stakes results. Practice phone conversations day to day with the people in your family, the people in your life where you got no skin in the game, because if you wait to the big phone call to do it, you're not going to be ready. My last question is, is the opposite of, of what you just said. So there's what to do when there's silence. There's the other part of a, of a phone conversation or a phone negotiation where you can actually get a word in edgeways. Ah. <laughs> and again, I've been asked that question. I actually just got asked it yesterday. How if these conversations that I'm having, they're, they're highly emotive and I don't even feel like I can jump in. Any tools or insights on that? 
Well, most of the time when you're trying to jump in, you're trying to jump in to hijack the conversation. You want to go like, all right, you talked enough. Now it's my turn to talk. And the other side senses that, which is why they won't shut up. Because either somebody else or you have conditioned them that as soon as you start talking, they don't get a chance to speak. And they're horrified that they can't speak. So how do you, how do you break up? You, you, you want to you tap the brakes on them gently. Tap them gently. What's that look like? While they're talking, not trying to take over the conversation, say things like, sounds like this is important to you. Sounds like you're worried that I won't listen. I mean, these are, these are tiny little probes that will start to tap the brakes on their conversation. You also do it with the late night FM DJ voice so they don't feel attacked. You know, you're gently tapping the brakes on their feeling of being out of control. They're feeling that either due to the circumstances external to you or interacting with you, they're very guarded. They're afraid of losing control. So you get start tapping it gently based on your tone of voice. You want one to three word responses, which are followed again by your silence, which removes the fear of you shutting them down and hijacking the conversation. Now, the other side, if they won't shut up, they feel out of control. And you're not going to cause them to release that fear by taking over the conversation yourself. So that's the dynamic that you have to defeat and you defeat it by tapping the brakes. So gentle taps, acknowledging, yes. acknowledging state. Okay. Now, Chris, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go now because I think we're all, all in the thick of it in one way, shape or form, but I really, really appreciate your time again. It's been a pleasure. And you get the late night FM DJ voice yourself. So nice job. <laughs> I'm going to be working on it. You wait. Tune into your airwaves. I'm on. Mm-hmm.